a reading from the beginning of the letter of St. James. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials, for you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance be perfect, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and he will be given it. But he should ask in faith, not doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed about by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, since he is a man of two minds, unstable in all his ways. The brother in lowly circumstances should take pride in high standing, and the rich one in his lowliness, for he will pass away like the flower of the field. For the sun comes up with its scorching heat and dries up the grass, its flower droops, and the beauty of its appearance vanishes. So will the rich person fade away in the midst of his pursuits. The word of the Lord. Be kind to me, Lord, and I shall live. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I hold to your promise. You are good and bountiful. Teach me your statutes. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. The law of your mouth it is to me more precious than thousands of, of gold and silver pieces. I know, O Lord, that your ordinances are just, and in your faithfulness you have afflicted me. Let your kindness comfort me according to your promise to your servants. Dominus vobiscum, Lexio Sancti Evangelice, Cundum Marcum, Gloria a Ti, 
The Pharisees came forward and began to argue with Jesus, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. He sighed from the depth of his spirit and said, why does this generation <clears throat> seek a sign? Amen, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. Then he left them, got into the boat again, and went off to the other shore. Verdipum Dohomini. Today we're told in the Gospels that the Pharisees came forward and began to argue with Jesus, seeking from him a sign to test him. Their arguing with Jesus shows their bad will, their obstinance to him, and they just want to test him, maybe set a trap, somehow trick him. Romans 10, uh, verse, chapter 10, verse 10 says, one believes with the heart. That faith is planted in our hearts. We hear the word of God, it's planted in our hearts, and one believes with the heart. And if that heart doesn't have an openness, is seeking to test God, you know, to just to be obstinance, you know, then we cannot have faith. So the Pharisees have this hardened heart. They're lacking this openness. Jesus has already, at this point in Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, he's already worked numerous miracles, just to name some. He's, he drove out an unclean spirit in the man in Capernaum. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. He cleansed uh, lepers. He heals a paralytic. He raises Jairus' daughter, heals the woman with the flow of blood, feeds the 5,000, walks on water, <laughs> cures the deaf man, and feeds another 4,000. So those are plenty of miracles, right? That uh, he gives testimony to who he is as the son of God. And yet they're arguing and trying to test him. Part of it, and I think the temptation for us as well today, is that our ego, our self-centeredness wants to control God. We want to set the terms for how God acts. If he acts in this way, if he does this, then I'll believe. There's a certain amount of control. It's not, we're not surrendering to God. We're not seeking him to entrust ourselves to him. Why haven't you done this for me? And haven't we all experienced unexpected blessings from the twists and turns of life and the sufferings, the crosses of life, that God is present, present there? He's perfecting us. He's challenging us. Modernity has an empirical approach to God. The only truth is what we can verify in the lab, what we can test. You know, the only truth is a technological truth or a scientific truth. We want to study and measure God, and then we'll say he exists. But we know that God is there in a much bigger way. I mean, most people on planet Earth believe in some form of God. The radicals are the ones that reject that. We have a, 
a sense, even in most people, that there is some higher being, some larger presence in our life that's there. Just the existence of love. You know, people have converted through that. They experience great love for a spouse or for a child, and it was just something that's bigger than them, that couldn't possibly be produced from them, that proved to them, that gave evidence of the existence of God. So in Mark's Gospel, we have this emphasis on the power and divinity of Christ. It begins with statements about Jesus as the Son of God and ends with the centurion, you know, proclaiming Jesus that surely this is the Son of God. He's writing for an audience in Rome that maybe, you know, that have a, that respect power and authority. So it's fast-paced, many miracles and statements about his divinity. You know, we have miracles and, you know, his miracles and miracles today that give evidence to this. You know, people that are healed, Eucharistic miracles. I was in Poland like a year and a few months ago and face-to-face -face with a miracle, a Eucharistic miracle there that... The bishop is recognized. It's even been scientifically tested. It's part of this host was bleeding. They have it in their church. And situations in our life, you know, that we see God acting. Maybe certain coincidences that we know are more than just coincidences, that God is there. They testify to Christ. You know, if we have a an openness to God, a seeking of him, we can recognize these things. And we can even see a certain logic, a certain way that how God acts in our life, that he doesn't force us, he doesn't overwhelm us with dazzling displays of power all the time. This was the temptation in the desert. <clears throat> you know, if Jesus would turn the breads into stone, if he would throw himself down from the parapet of the temple. If he worked dazzling signs, you'd get a big crowd. You'd get disciples. You could have earthly power. You wouldn't have to suffer. You wouldn't have to have the cross. But Jesus rejects all that because he wants to maintain our freedom. He doesn't want to overwhelm our freedom or somehow force us to believe. He wants our hearts. He wants us to trust him. So he gives us freedom, and that freedom to choose to believe in him or not is necessary for love. If it's not free, it's not love. You can't coerce that love. Love is always a gift we give to somebody else. And when we love God and we love others, it gives us a kind of knowledge with its own logic. It gives us a kind of knowledge. When you love a person, you see them in a deeper way. It gives us a knowledge. And that faith without truth doesn't save. So that love helps us to recognize the truth of our faith, the truth of God, his existence, his love for us. James, in the first reading today, instructs us to ask for wisdom, to ask for that wisdom to know the purpose and plan of God. He warns us not to doubt, not to 
have this attitude of testing God, but to trust him. Ask for that wisdom that we can see God's purpose and plan for our life. And we can accept, see and accept that plan. And that we can, that self-centeredness can die. It can go down a bit and we can let God in. I heard I was reviewing a story, a beautiful story of Brandon Vaught, who works with Bishop Barron and Word on Fire. And a big part of his conversion was working with the poor and the homeless. I think he was in college at the time. And he said, he would hang out with them, and he, he said, these people were truly poor in spirit. You know, they didn't have a lot of stuff, the great things of the world. And they, they showed him you know, to be a little humble, that ego-driven desires and wants and desire for control, you know, to let that die down a bit, right? And so we can have God come into our life. And James today talks about trials, that we should count it all joy when you, count, when you encounter various trials. This provides us with a testing of our faith that gives us perseverance, that we need to have patience in the trials. We need to have patience uh, to persevere. And there is no patience without love. So that love is growing within us in those trials, causing us to give ourselves to the Lord and trust. I think we probably all experience that trials in life <clears throat> focuses us on God. <clears throat> you know, the crosses can, can kind of knock us down at times. And uh, you know, others have said this, and I've realized it myself. It's like, okay, God, you got my attention now, right? I'm listening now. I don't have a solution myself. I don't see a way out myself. I'm listening. I need something better. I need a way out. And all of a sudden, you know, we can start to seek his will. We can start to surrender. We can start to cling to him. Catechism has a beautiful line about the section on faith. That faith is, first of all, this personal adherence to God, that we trust him. We've come to the end of our own resources, our own ways of doing it, at the end of the rope, so to speak, and we give God an opportunity. And faith, without truth, cannot save. And we need to recognize this truth that, you know, Jesus is divine. He suffered and died for us. He laid down his life for us that we may be saved. Can't save myself. Recognize that truth of our, our need for him and who he is, that he has that ability as God to truly save us. That could be a a test of our faith as well. We don't, we lose that hope that God really has a path for us, that we're beyond hope, we're beyond, you know, we're in despair, you know, we, that we, you know, our sins are too grave, they're too terrible to be forgiven. But faith calls us to believe that God loves sinners. He's merciful towards us. If we repent, Believe in him, he will forgive us if we repent and ask for that mercy. James also warns us today 
that you know, the rich will fade away in their pursuits. Fade away in their, that's a great way to put it, isn't it? He, he says, exactly, he says, so will the rich person fade away in the midst of the pursuits, like the flower of the field that passes away when the sun comes up in the scorching heat. If we're about ourselves, if it's an ego-driven life, it doesn't last. And that ego-driven life opposes the faith. Faith makes us strong, gives us strength. when We turn to God. And again, the challenge is us to abandon our own security, to cling to God, as Pope Francis likes to say, to, like Abraham, to set out from our own land for a, a promised land, to let go of the security of our own land, our own way of doing things, our own plans, and to set out for this new land given to us by God, as we see historically with Abraham and the Israelites. It's such a bigger blessing, right? When we go to his land, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. Our land winds us up, winds us in, up in Egypt in slavery and bondage. He wants to give us freedom. And that love that he has for us, that mercy, doesn't fade, but it, it leads us, it gives us hope to this promised land, this life, this heavenly life with him.